those two verses. But now we are finally coming to an end of the book of Ephesians. So we have only uh, three more messages to go. So we have this one, uh, apart from this one, of course, so we have three more messages to go. So the other three will be two more messages on the spiritual armor that we are currently going through at the moment. And the next one will be the very end of the epistle to the Ephesians. And I hopefully, I'm, I'm, it is really my hope that you enjoyed the journey through Ephesians, seeing some of the foundations for the Christian faith in there and why those foundations are supposed to enable you to live a life that is pleasing to God. So God doesn't want you to just behave in a certain way. God wants you to live in a certain way because you become you have become a new creature in him through the hearing and believing of the gospel of the of Jesus Christ. Now, again, the first half we dedicated through finding out what that new identity actually is. And in the second half now, we've been going through finding out how what does that mean in terms of lifestyle? So you should live in a new way. What does that mean? So that's what we are actually going through at the moment. And my last message, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, was spiritual warfare thriving in an invisible warfare. Now, the reason we are going through that is because the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual warfare. So not because I, I like to use those themes or anything, but the Apostle Paul himself speaks on those things that we find in the Bible. Now, as we've seen it, basically what he's doing now is this, okay? He's been telling you, this is who you are. Now, this is how you should live your life, right? Now, what he's doing is this. He's taking you back. He's peeling the curtain. He's taking you into a trip to the backstage of the world and seeing that how this backstage, how this spiritual world in influences the life you currently have here on earth. Now, he already hinted to that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, when he said about our previous life when we were separated from Christ, he says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Basically what he's saying is, your previous life as a non-Christian, even though you didn't know about that, was a life following the prince of the air, which is Satan's nickname on this passage over here. You didn't know, as a known Christian, you were not only following him, but as he says here, he was the spirit that was at work in your life and in my life. So there is an invisible battle going on since the foundation of the world that most people have no idea about. Now, as the title of that sermon of mine indicated, the question we were trying to ask then was, as soldiers of Christ, how do I now not only engage in this battle, but how do I thrive in this invisible, ancient, and cosmic warfare? How do I manage not only avoid getting crushed by the enemy forces, but how do I manage to accomplish God's plans for my life in the midst of it? Now, we've seen in that message as well that Paul highlighted two things. You need to discover who your enemies are. Now, if you want to see the details, go back to that message. We have a recording online. 
I might won't be able to, to go into detail, but you need to find out two things. You need to find out who your real enemies are, and you need to find out what the strength that's available for battle for you. And now that's what I'm going to do. We're going to focus on the next three messages, including this one. So one, two, three, which is in the spiritual armor. We're going to focus on the strength available for the battle. As we've seen, that God is the source of that strength. So that's the, how we get the source, who, whom that we get the source, the, the, this, the strength from. But the way how we actually access this strength, the way how we tap into that strength is by putting on the armor. So that God tells you to do that. Do you want to have the strength of God to fight the battle, the invisible battle that goes on in this world? Yes. How do I do that? You, you must put on the armor of God on you. Now, Paul is going to get very specific about it. That's what he's going to do now in this sermon of mine. He's going to say, what does that actually mean to put on the armor of God? How, how do I do that? Sounds very abstract, doesn't it? Putting on an armor, like how, how does that work? I don't understand it. But Paul is going to get very specific about how you do that. Now, the thing I find it very interesting here, he's not going to do that as a dressing tutorial, okay? I'm not sure about you, but I don't, I, I, I don't, use, I don't, don't wear ties very often. So every time I need to wear a tie, I go on YouTube. YouTube helps me to wear a tie. So I go there, and I try to follow. It's like, yeah, you pass the tie this way, and then you turn around. So this is not how Paul is going to do this, Okay? Paul is not going to give you a dressing. He's going to, not going to speak to you as he's giving a dressing tutorial. But it's much more like it's going to be a war cry. Okay? So it's going to be a war cry coming from a general preparing his troops for battle. That's the amazing thing that we're going to see here. Now, I'm not sure if we have many Lord of the Rings fans here. Uh, any Lord of the Rings fans? No? Uh, we, we, at our house, we like the Lord of the Rings. We used to have that Christmas tradition where we used to watch the trilogy every uh, Boxing Day. Marathon. Boom. We watch the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings and Boxing Day. We love it. Now, there is a very famous quote from a guy called Aragorn. He is the king, the future king of that particular, one of particular cities there. And he's about to lead the the armies of mankind against the armies of the kingdom of darkness, and they are outnumbered, right? They're like, okay, we're probably going into our death here. And he says a few words. He has this war cry to prepare his troops for battle. He says this, I see in your eyes the same fear that would have taken the heart of me. A day may come when the courage, the courage of men falls. When we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields. When the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth. I bid you stand men of the west. And that's very similar to what Paul is saying in the beginning of his verse. When he says, stand, therefore, 
is very much, he's, he, he sees the, the army of darkness camping around and the church in getting ready to advance and, take, and just plunder the kingdom of darkness. And Paul, as one of those commanders, uh, generals of the faith there, he calls the church to stand. To stand and be ready for what is to come. You should know the battle is not coming. The battle is already upon you right now. It's happening in this room. The battle is a life and death issue. It's not like a, you can sort of choose if you engage in it or not. And lastly, the battle requires your action. How then I obey that command of the Apostle Paul to stand therefore tapping into the power of God is by putting on the armor of God. Now we're going to address those items of the armor of God. Now many of you may not know how a Roman soldier used to dress. So I've got a bit of a picture there just to help you see what he is referring to. Now Paul wrote this letter from prison. So most likely he had one of those guys there sitting next to him, guarding him so that he won't escape or protecting him so that no one would kill him. Because there were lots of people wanting to kill Paul back then. But that's how Paul saw uh, a, a Roman soldier. And that's precisely the, the picture that he uses to apply for the, uh, uh, the armor of God. And the first item of the armor of God that he's going to talk about is the belt of truth. You see that very clearly in the beginning of verse 14. Stand therefore, that's the command for you and me, having fastened on the belt of truth. Again, we have the first participle. How do you stand therefore? One of the things is having fastened the belt of truth. Now it looks like Paul is getting some inspiration from the book of Isaiah as well. Because in the book of Isaiah, there is a depiction of God wearing an armor. And in that armor in the book of Isaiah, it says, for example, Isaiah 15, 11.5, it says this, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and truth the belt of his loins. So it sounds like Paul was like sitting in his cell, reading the book of Isaiah. He's looking at the Roman soldier and thinking, Hmm, I see something going on here. I see a connection between that armor that I see and the armor that God says He's going to be wearing that's now available to His people. Now, that armor, the, the, the belt that Paul is talking about, it's not a belt that like I'm wearing right now, like a belt like this, a sash kind of thing. It's a kind of a different one. So, it's a, Actually, I'll ask, John, can you go back to the picture of the Roman soldier very quickly for me? Thank you. Just to, so that you can see. Because the belt is the one that confuses most people. Because it's not just a belt. It, it is very much like a leather apron that protects the thighs. So it's not just a belt around the waist. But uh, can, can you see it over there? So those leather things, they, pr they actually protect the thighs against blows of swords or, or arrows that might be flying um, around the battle place. And they were really tight and fast because you're, you're about to engage in vigorous battle, okay? So you're, you'll be waging your, your, your sword and, and blocking with your shield. So those things need to be in place in a way that it's not going to fall if you run, right? You're running around, you don't want that belt to fall because if it does, 
you're going to be very vulnerable in battle. So when Paul is talking about the truth of God, having fastened the belt of truth, he sees that imagery, that protection around the waist kind of thing, but that needs to be fastened, that it will not leave as you swing around the, your sword and you block the blows of the enemy with your shield. The spiritual armor of God sees truth as a fundamental element of protection of God's people. Now, you should be asking, what, what are you talking about when you talk about truth, Giuliano? What does Paul mean when he's talking about truth? He's talking about the truth of God, the truth of the gospel. That's what's supposed to be one piece of protection for your life. So the question you should be asking is, why is truth an important component of the life of the Christian? How walking in truth, in God's way for you, is God's way for you to access His omnipotent power to enable you to stand in battle? That's what you should be asking. Now, the truth is very simple. Truth protects you from the destructive and ultimately damning lies of the enemy. Truth is important when it comes to living the Christian life, people. And we should know that better than anyone else. Because we know this story of the garden. We know that the battle that plunged humankind into fallenness and brokenness and desperation was lost because our first representative, Adam and Eve, decided not to wear this belt of truth, the battle. Isn't that crazy? You and I die today because Adam and Eve didn't hold on to the truth of God. You and I were separated. We sinned. We were separated from God because the truth of God was not taken into account seriously. The first battle, the first spiritual battle that humankind ever had was not fought with spears, with strength, but was fought with words. And humankind was plunged into a kingdom of darkness because truth was not upheld. Christians care about truth. They care about what God says. So ultimately, we do not live our lives thinking, oh, I think this is the best way to do it. We should live our lives thinking, what does God say about it? Now, in this battle of ours, you and mine, you are going to be challenged. If you decide to have this belt of truth fastened to protect you from the attacks of the evil one, let me, tell, let me prepare you right now. You're going to be challenged every single day of your life with the words, did God really say? Did God really say this? Every time you're going to be challenged by your friends, you're going to be challenged by your enemies, you're going to be challenged by those you love, by those who hate you, you're going to be challenged by everyone sometimes. 
when you decide to hold on to the truth that God said about you and about this universe. Now, if you don't have the truth really fastened around your belt, you're going to be as vulnerable as Adam and Eve were in the garden. Now, let me tell you this. Some people don't like the truth. That's true. They don't like it. They hear it and they, I really don't like this. But truth was designed by God to protect you, not to hurt you. Truth is designed by God to guard you and to protect you, not to hurt you. So when God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and says, you can eat from every tree in the garden, but you don't eat from this one here because once you eat it, you shall die. That's terrible, terrible news, hurtful news. You don't want to die. You don't want to lose your life. You don't want to separate. You don't want to experience separation from God. You don't want that. But that's the truth. And the truth is designed to protect you. Now, for those of us who are parents among here, we know that quite well. That when you say, don't put your finger in a PowerPoint, it's going to hurt you. I know at the moment sounds like we're spoiling the fun, the fun of exploration, of, of discovering new things. But no, those truths are designed to protect our children. And in the same way, God has in His Word lots of truths you should know if you want to survive this battle. I don't have time to go through all of them. There are way too many in your scriptures for you to find. But my encouragement to you is this. If you are to survive this battle of ours, if, you, if your marriage is to survive this battle of ours, if your relationship with your children is to survive this battle of ours, if you want to have a better relationship with your neighbors, with your co-workers, if you want to, to, for your evangelistic efforts to be effective, all of that has to be guided by the truth of God in the Scriptures. The truth is for your good, not for your bad or evil. That is the first item that we see in the armor of God. The second one is called the breastplate of righteousness. And that's the second part of the verse 14, when it says, In having put on the breastplate of righteousness now we're very familiar with the breastplate so i don't think we need to go back to the picture but again paul got that inspiration i suppose from watching a roman surgeon and reading the book of isaiah and like oh, okay i see that again when he sees isaiah 59 17 that says about the lord that he will put on righteousness as his breastplate and then this is coming and a helmet of salvation on his head he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. That's, that's God getting, getting ready for battle here, okay? So Paul is watching those descriptions from the book of Isaiah and watching the Roman soldier and saying, this is how Christians should live. You should have a breastplate of righteousness being put on you if you want to survive the fatal blows of the enemy. Now, that breastplate from the Roman soldier that we saw before was made of iron and was designed to protect, of course, some of the most vital organs of the body like your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your stomach, and 
all of those things. So that's the, that's the place it was designed to, to protect. Now, when it comes to the spiritual armor, it's not talking about, of course, a, 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 um, a breastplate of iron, but it's talking about using righteousness as that covering for you. Now, righteousness is a very confusing word, so I'll need you really to pay attention here with me because otherwise you will miss it. What does that mean you should put on righteousness? Now, I believe what the Apostle Paul is using, the way how the Apostle Paul is using righteousness here is, is a, is a two-way uh, righteousness that he's talking about. He's talking about a righteousness that it is your right standing with God. And he's talking about righteousness that it is you walking in a righteous way. I think he's talking about both here, and I'll tell you why. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, 24, and Ephesians chapter 5, 9, Paul says something that sounds like quite similar when he says, for example, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self is not about salvation. He's talking to Christians here. He's talking, now live like Christians. So put on the breastplate of righteousness is live a life that it is worthy of your calling. That will protect you. But not just that. It's also for at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, walking as children of light. It's also referring to that transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So... Why is righteousness an important component of your Christian life? How walking in righteousness is God's way to, for you to access His omnipotent power to enable you to stand in battle? How, how does righteousness actually work? Knowing that you are made righteous, that you are righteous you are in a right standing before God protects your identity. Do you want to know what's going to be one of the most common and powerful attacks of the evil one upon your life? If you were a Christian, it's going to be this. Are you really a Christian? Hmm. I'm not sure about that. It's going to be an attack on your identity. Now, if you are wearing that breastplate of righteousness, if you are assured that you are in the right standing of God with God, you can dismiss those claims. But they're going to be tempting because they're going to come when you're feeling most vulnerable. Just after you sin, just after you said that word that you know you shouldn't have said. Just after you've done that thing you know you should have done. And then all of a sudden the, the, the evil one comes crushing down on you. Helping you to see that maybe you are not who you think you said you are. That was the strategy of the devil against the Lord Jesus Christ himself, wasn't it? Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert and he fasted for 40 days and then he was tempted by the devil. Now the devil came and the first thing that he says to Jesus was, if you are the Son of God, 
do this. Which is very interesting because just a few moments before that, Jesus was baptized and after he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him and, the Holy, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now the first thing that the devil wants to do with Jesus is to cause him to doubt that. You see? I like the words of the Apostle John in his first letters when he says, If our heart accuses us, you know that sometimes it's going to happen. Sometimes you're going to stand in front of the mirror and you're like, mm, I messed up again. I might not be a son or a daughter of God as I thought I was. Now righteousness which is the right standing before God, will protect you against that. Because I've seen way too many people just decide to give up on God altogether or just to wander away from the faith because they suffered one of those blows from the enemy that just crushed them. Righteousness before God protects you. Now let me tell you this, living your life as a Christian, in a righteous way, before men, protects your reputation. Now, I'm using the word reputation here very, very, very carefully. Because in one way, we should not be concerned about your reputation. In a sense that sometimes you will do things and leave things in God's way. And people will think you're crazy and your reputation is going to be damaged in a way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living in a godly, in a, in a godly way that puts you in good standing with those around you. Very similar to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. When he's talking about the qualifications for being an elder, a leader of the church, he says that that person must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. You see? Having a good stand among people will protect you from falling into the snare of the devil. And the story that comes to my mind straight away is the story of Daniel. Not sure how many of you are familiar with the story of Daniel, but Daniel was a prophet of God who lived a life who was excellent. No one could fault him in any way, shape, or form. And because of that, he was getting promoted. He was always getting, getting first places everywhere. The kings would love him and would put him in charge of things. He was going to become like the, the second best in the kingdom of Babylon and then the Medes and the Persians as well. He was impressive, you see. But lots of people got really jealous of Daniel and they wanted to take him down. And the way how they did it, they got together and said, let's find a way to fault him. So they caught... They, they got together and spent, you know, some time doing some research. They came back together and said, okay, what'd you find? Nothing. What about you? Nah, nothing. Ah, what about yourself? Mm, nothing. Family life? Finances. Sorry. Uh -uh. The guy was above reproaching every way, shape, or form. And that was a protection for his own life. I believe what the, the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Timothy here, and also when he talked about righteousness as the one, living righteousness before men is precisely because of that. 
Some of the troubles that you and I find, it's our own fault. It is. We lived in ways we should not be living. And then all of a sudden that comes crumbling down. And then we're wondering, what's going on? So Paul is encouraging, living in a godly way will protect you in every way, shape, or form from damage. Now, just watching those political debates and all of that, that's a very good example of that. Because everyone has dirt on everyone. Isn't that true? Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, everyone has done something wrong that they are ashamed of. And they try to hide it. But then the other party hire a very good investigator who finds out. The, and it's like, it's just everyone just throwing dirt, dirt on each other. What Poe is saying is, live a life in a, in a way that there will be no dirt to be thrown at you. That will protect you. And lastly, but not least important, the shoes of gospel readiness is a very important item of the armor you find in verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, once again inspired from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7. How That's a very, very famous verse. Most people know. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now what Paul's seeing, this verse, he's seeing it portrayed in the leather sandals provided by the Roman Empire to its soldiers. It's a leather sandal that it is designed to give agil agility as well as protection. Not only agility for the battle, but for marching, for walking around the country. Remember, it's just trying to walk bare feet in Middle East Palestine, first century. Not an easy task. We're not talking about easy level roads or anything like that. So those sandals were designed to give you agility as well as to protect your feet. That's what it is designed for. Now, what Paul is saying is, Gospel readiness or becoming ready by the gospel and for the gospel will have an effect on your life similar to those sandals. That's what he's saying. Now you'll be asking, what? What does that mean, gospel readiness? Let me tell you. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ makes you ready. But not only makes you ready. It makes you ready for gospel mission. And that is fundamental if you want to survive in this battle. I will tell you. Why is gospel readiness an important component? How walking in gospel readiness is God's way for you and me to access His omnipotent power to enable you to stand in battle? I think there are two things that I want to highlight here. First one is the gospel gets you ready by freeing you up from everything that imprisons you in your life. I like the imagery that we see in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 when it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great of a cloud of witnesses, it's talking about the heroes of faith, faith that came before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let, let us run with endurance the race that it is set 
before us. Let me tell you, being ready by the gospel is one of the most important things you might have in your life. There is no way to live, not even to start thinking about living a Christian life, if you haven't been made ready by the gospel. There is no way about it. Because it's like living a life with a limp. If you do not understand what Jesus has done for you, if you do not understand that you were not in right standing with God, if you do not understand that you were heading to eternal damnation, and that because Jesus came and died on a cross and absorbed the wrath of God, He is now imputing or giving to you His righteousness as your very own. If you do not understand that, you're not fit for battle. You're not. Because it's going to be very similar to what happened to Paul when he was casting out demons in Ephesus. When he was doing his mission in Ephesus, he was casting out some demons there. And there were, he heard of a, uh, there were some other people who were also casting out demons who were not Christians. And they were casting out demons in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, which is very weird. And one of those demons one day showed up and those guys were trying to cast out that demon in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And then the demon showed up and said, you know what? I know Paul. I know Jesus, but I have no idea who you are. And guess what happens? They got beaten up so badly by the demon that they lost their clothes and they had to run away naked. Because you cannot rely on the readiness of someone else for the battle. It has to be your own readiness. Now, the truth is, the gospel makes you ready in every way, shape, or form. It frees you. It frees you from the love of this world. It frees you from, from the, the cravings of the flesh. It frees you from everything that might destroy your life. The gospel does that. If you hear it, and you believe it, and you hold on to it. But not only that, the gospel also frees you up for the mission of the gospel. Now, let me tell you this. This is very important. If the devil cannot destroy your life by lying to you, by accusing you, by causing you to doubt your salvation, by causing to be ineffective, he will destroy your life by making you comfortable. Many lives have been destroyed in terms of gospel mission effectiveness because they've received from whatever means they've received, prosperity or blessings or whatever it is. Not that those things are bad, but if you do not have a heart of gospel mission, that will rob you from many good things that God has for you. We are not here on holidays on this earth. The plan of God for your life and for my life is not to grow up, study, 
have kids, and so on. All those things are good, by all means, don't get me wrong, they are fantastic. But if you don't live your life through these stages of life, as you are in the mission of God, let me tell you what, you will get to 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and you're going to look back, and you're going to see, I lived my life as if I was on holiday, and the battle was going on, and I wasn't help. I wasn't helping. Quite the opposite. I was being a burden. I was being a burden in the church because my mentality was, what's, is, what's in that for me? I was seeking my own comfort. I was seeking my own privileges. I was thinking what I deserve. And as you live the life in that way, you're not living with a gospel readiness mentality. You're living your life in a vacation mentality. And that is very dangerous for a Christian. A Christian should live his life or her life in this world as aliens, as strangers, as foreigners, as like... This is a section that it is important. I'm living to my best for the glory of Jesus. But guess what? I'm living in light of eternity. Those are the very first three items that you, if you want to stand there for, if you want to access the power of God to fight the powers of darkness of this world, you need to have the belt of truth. You need to have the breastplate of righteousness and you need to have the shoes of gospel readiness. Everything fitted and ready to go. Now, I'm sure as I preached, maybe there was one of those items that were a little bit more like, woo, yes. You know, truth is not a big one for me, maybe. You're thinking, yeah, I'm very iffy on truth. I believe that, you know, that's your truth and my truth kind of thing. I don't listen to the truth of the Word of God very often. Or maybe you're thinking, no, it's the breastplate of righteousness that I don't have. My right standing with God's not quite right. Or maybe I doubt that all the time. Or I'm not living a life in a righteous way in order to cause people to see and not fault me. Or maybe you're thinking, I haven't been living my life being made ready by the gospel and for the gospel. I'm not on mission. Whatever that is, we're going to pray now. And my encouragement is for you to bring that to the Lord in prayer. To help you to put on. Because again, as I said, it is your job. It's not my job. It's not God's job in that way. He's asking you, you should do that. You, put a, you shape your life in those ways. It is your job. I want you to do it. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that it is sharp, that brings discernment, that help us to find what's going wrong in our lives, that help us to see how the enemy can take us down and make us ineffective in this world. At the same time, we are wondering sometimes, how do we access that power of yours to live a life that it is pleasing to your name? And your call is the call that comes through the words of the Apostle Paul saying, put on the armor of God, son. 
Put on the armor of God, daughter. Dress yourself. Make yourself ready for the battle. Stop living a life that it is distracted. The battle is raging. And the call of God to His people is to stand. So Lord, I pray for us. I pray that you would help us to stand having fastened the belt of truth, Lord. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having our, our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. Help us to live in a way that brings glory to you. And that it is empowered by you to thrive in this life. Not just to go through this life with a limp. So we pray for those things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.